Oh, he must have shades on too, doesn't he? Because it's it's oh, daylight. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. sunlight sensitivity, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has he's he's already rocking sunglasses. He wears First cobalt and sunglasses. <laughs> Can he have like a really fancy umbrella? Oh, I love that. Live from the Mundangerous Ivy Tower in New York City, I'm your host Shane, and I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to Actual Play, episode 14 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we are concluding our playthrough of the 5th edition adventure, Sunless Citadel. Eberron is a sorrowful place, where the five great nations on the continents of Corvair fought a hundred-year war for the throne of Galifar, and only recently settled for peace after a mysterious magical calamity called the Day of Mourning. Eberron is a wondrous place where magic is studied and industrialized. And living constructs called Warforged rub shoulders with elves, dwarves, and changelings on elementally powered airships and lightning trains. Eberron is a mysterious place where powerful magical tattoos called Dragon Marks shape the fate of their bearers and the secrets of ancient empires and evils lie buried just below the surface. Of course, dear listener, you don't need to know any of that to follow the adventures of our hero, Tez Proudgale. He's just a rogue archaeology student unearthing secrets in the hinterlands of southern Breland, close to the borders of the gnome nation Zalargo and the goblin nation Dargoon. Though if you do want to learn more about Eberron, check out Total Party Thrill episode 33 for our full overview of the Eberron campaign setting. Tez Proudgale has defeated the outcast, and now his only issue is, how does he make his tuition payments? I mean, he also <laughs> found some treasure, I guess. I rescued a human adult child. <laughs> Sure, yeah, it was you, not Erky. It was you. Yeah. Hey, wait, who? <laughs> I don't I don't see Erky around. I don't that know what I'm talking about. That guy is dead to me. <laughs> you are in the lowest level of the Sunless Citadel, uh, the Great Gothias Tree, uh, which had called out with evil emanations, uh, is slowly turning into charred ash as it lies on its side. The crushed remains of Scalabro at its base. Um, a much worse for wear, but very much alive. Cobalt, Meepo, uh, near its upper branches. Tez actually looking pretty good, and dear old Erky Timbers faded away and gone after revealing deep dark secrets. Tez isn't looking that good. He's only got four hit points. <laughs> <laughs> Sharwin Hugh Creel, one of the adult human children that Tez was sent to find, is alive and well against all odds. And she looks up at her rescuer and says, where is my brother? Oh, boy. Um, which one is your brother? Talgon, she says, Talgon. And then you see this, like, horror, look of horror creep over her face as her, like, memory seems to resurface. And she says, the hobgoblin. The hobgoblin killed him. Oh, 
Yeah. So one of yeah, there was a rat, there was a hobgoblin, and then uh, you were possessed by a weird vampire tree. She like shakes her head, sort of like clear it, um, and then like slowly stands and then spots the very impaled corpse of Sir Brayford. Uh, she says, ah. she looks upset that, that he's very much dead um, and says, yes, uh, after Talgon was killed, she pauses for a moment here. We were brought down here and the, the druid tied us to the tree. And it, it took an entire day, but eventually we were completely consumed by it. And I don't remember anything after that. Look, that is, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's what they offered to do to me. I wasn't super keen on it. I killed the guy, the outcast. I don't know. Is that why you came down here? Why did you come down here? Really? He's dead? He's gone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it the old-fashioned way. She looks a little confused. What? With swords? No, 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 no. We burned down the tree and then killed him. Ah, the tree. That, that makes sense. I remember... I remember a great keening, uh, a cry of, of rage from, I think it was the tree. I heard it. I heard it in my mind. How? And then she looks down at herself and then over at Sir Brayford, who's still covered in like that um, bark-like substance. She looks down at herself and says, how, how is it that I'm all right? We saved you. Uh, we gave you the apple. Um, but we were all out, so we didn't get a chance to save your friend. If you want to, like, bring him out, you're more than welcome, but I'm not carrying him. I've got my own companion to carry. And Tez kind of moves away to start collecting gingerly the bones of Skelebro. <laughs> oh, that friend. That's adorable. Um, she doesn't know that you mean a horrible undead abomination, so she looks over at uh, Meepo and sort of, like, waves a little bit with kind of a shrug. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, Tez, like, waves with a femur. <laughs> this friend. This is not the weirdest thing I've seen today. All right. Uh, yes, I I will. The least I can do is return Sir Brayford's body to the temple in Mistmarsh. I would like to give my brother a proper burial if any of his remains still exist. As far as you know, they do not. Uh, we can ask the goblins, but not sure on that one. To be honest, I didn't expect to find you alive, given how your well, one of your companions didn't make it to the goblins, apparently. We found the ranger's body in the, with the rats. Her, her jaw sort of tightens, um, and, you know, she nods and says, yes, it seems we were less prepared for what was down here than, than we thought. To be honest, I, I had already assumed that we were all dead once the tree took us. So, being the only survivor is, I suppose, the best outcome I could have hoped for. Yeah, I, you'll carry that kill with you for the rest of your life, and if you stop adventuring, that might be a long time. But this is probably not your racket. She nods thoughtfully like she's listening to you you're not really sure what she thinks about it but you know she's she doesn't seem particularly talkative right now she's a little bit she's a little bit dazed uh now you do notice the Gothias tree is um still smoldering a little bit but you look all around you 
And you remember you had to enter this area through a, a lot of brush. And this in, entire uh, cavern, this entire level is sort of filled with these root-like um, plants that, that look withered. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see off in the distance, they are now looking even more withered, almost like the unlife <laughs> has been sucked out of them. Um, they're wilting even further, and some of them are even beginning to just fall over rootless. Well, can't say I'm going to miss this place. Uh, I'm going to gather up what gear we can salvage, uh, give a give a cursory search around for any uh, any other loot or anything else of value here, and Sharwin, you want to uh, start making our way home? So she walks over to Sir Brayford's body, closes his eyes with her fingers, and then reaches down next to him and picks up his longsword, Shatter Spike. She gazes at it for a moment and then hands it to you, Hilt first. I believe this is yours now. Thank you. And I'm just kind of like in the comic book version, in the graphic novel version, there's just dollar signs <laughs> in Tez's eyeballs. <laughs> He's just sizing this up for how much he can flip it for because long swords are not Tez's bag. <laughs> long swords that destroy loot are not Tez's yeah, yeah, bag. Exactly. Well, it's already one knock against it that it's a long sword. It's two knocks against it that it destroys loot. He would have wanted the person who freed him from this terrible unlife to have it. Uh, and then, sort of surprisingly, um, because she's not particularly strong, she uh, reaches down, picks up his body, and you know hoists it over uh, her shoulder and begins to walk out of there. I said I wasn't carrying it. I'm not <laughs> carrying it. Tez is perfectly happy. So you've gathered up Skelebro, right? Gathered up Skelebro, um, gathered up anything off of um, the outcast of Belak's body, uh, yeah, you already I, got the uh, healing potions that he had. And, yeah, I don't imagine that there's anything uh, from the frog, but I don't know, maybe he ate something interesting. I mean, Meepo seems interested in carting out the frog. Okay. <laughs> He'll, I can't wait for the poisonous head knocker. <laughs> All right, so this very motley crew uh, slowly makes uh, their way back out the way you came, because it seems to be the only way in or out. And you can see the same things happening in uh, the arboretums. The plants that the undead were tending are starting to keel over. As are the undead. It seems like whatever was animating them in this place, that energy has ebbed away. The apparatuses in that laboratory, um, does it look like they've been sapped of their magics too? No, they seem to be about the same. But when you came here the the first time, they mostly looked non-functional. Or there was also the stasis machine, and you had no way to affect it as far as you could tell. Because it seemed like the machine itself is in stasis. Tez is going to collect what he can from this. Uh, And now that he has a little more time and a little less risk down here, is going to make some pretty pretty detailed notes on everything he can find. Mm -hmm. So he'll continue those rubbings. He makes copies of whatever fresco is remaining, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, all of Belloc's library I'm, I'm taking with me. Sorry, as we walk through his library, I'm not leaving anything <laughs> behind. <laughs> all right, great. And, and the, the crop reports that I burned, I'm not shedding a tear for either. Uh, 
Sharwin seems to be fine with you taking your time, and mo- mostly she's quiet. So as you return back to the uh, high vines that lead to the goblin throne room, you can see that they are also beginning to lose their strength. You think probably within the next few days they won't be climbable. Uh, well, I, I'll give a shout up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, after a minute or so, you see uh, a goblin poke ahead uh, over the cliff edge. Oh, you're not dead. No, but I could use a rope. Hmm. I'll see what I can find. Thank you. And after a few more minutes, uh, a long length of knotted rope uh, is lowered down, and you can easily climb back up. There's a lot of commotion. It looks like the entire tribe is packing up. Can I find Grenel in the crowd? She sort of spots you across the uh, the great hall, that main room where uh, most of the goblins live, uh, and makes her way over to you and says, "Well, you're not dead. I, I have to say, I'm I'm surprised." But and then she like looks up at the ceiling, um, and you can see that the the roots that had been growing in through the ceiling and sometimes in the walls are also uh, like withering here and then sometimes falling apart. She says, we have thought that maybe you would have good news, but we decided not to stick around. You put the idea of the Dakani Empire into our head, so I think we will make that trek to Dargoon. I think that's just capital. I am I'm very happy for I'm so excited. I hope, can we be pen pals? <laughs> she says, hmm, I'll... I'll have a dirge singer send you a dream. Wonderful. And I'll have a uh I'll have uh an, an Orion uh post carrier send you a magical message. We look forward to murdering him. <laughs> well, it's 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 magic. It, it doesn't work that way. It's You've got a lot to learn about the outside. Listen, if you need anything, Tez Proudgale of the Lazar Principalities, you can find me at Morgrave University in Breland. Don't might want to write that down. I know it's a whole thing for you, but like, I really hope you find what you're looking for. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I, and I hope you find peace um, and justice. She, oh, she looks a little taken aback by this. Takes a, a step backwards and then uh, offers you a bow of what you assume is respect. It seems like a big deal. Uh, I appreciate that, but let me welcome you. Uh, to the modern Corvair, and I offer her a handshake. Ah, she reaches up and uh, takes your hand, uh, shakes it heartily, and says, this is weird, but fine, <laughs> fine. It seems unsanitary. It is, it is, actually. <laughs> it's in many ways revolting. I recommend the elbow bump, but it hasn't caught on yet. Sharwin pauses to speak to Grenel quietly, um, off to the side, and you can tell Grenell's confirming that, uh, yes, Drin unceremoniously disposed of Talgon's body. Um, she retrieves... Uh, I have the ring, don't I? I didn't offer it, did I? I think you already gave it back to her, her mother. Uh, that's right. But she actually does partake in a short ceremony with Grenell. To consecrate the spot where he died. And then seems satisfied with that. 
the goblins continue their preparations and you make your way uh, with a small escort back toward the kobold area of this level and they let you proceed uh, alone. Back out here, it doesn't seem like the giant rats have repopulated the area. And you come to sort of that crossroads where if you go right, it leads to the kobold area. And if you go uh, straight, it leads to the exit. And often the, the very far distance, you can hear what sounds like shouting. And if you just pause for a moment, it becomes more discernible. And you hear this sort of like high-pitched keening. They stole, they stole our, our dragon. The human children, a team of human children, came and took our dragon. Meepo looks up at you and says, Ooh, Eustrael is angry. Meepo, would you like to go back to the rest of your clan, or would you like to come with me and see the world? So he looks at Tez, and he looks down the long stone corridor that leads to the, the screaming and he looks back at you and says, Meepo has been down that road before. Meepo will come with Tez. And we head out through the hole in the wall with the rats. <laughs> <laughs> Not even going to say goodbye to the cobalts. Uh, are you sure you don't want to visit those uh, three skeleton archers in that alcove? <laughs> <laughs> Never cleared those, did I? No, no. I'm good. <laughs> good. Perfect. <laughs> Four All hit right. points. <laughs> You're able to uh, make your way around the rubble because you've been here before. And again, there don't seem to be any rats in the area. Your uh, rope that you left is still here. You can climb uh, back up the cliff uh, all the way to the level of the road that leads back to Miss Marsh. The trail is much as you remember it. However, you're always on the lookout now that you know the dangers of the road. You stay in the middle away from the high grass and if you look carefully you can still see in the distance at times bits of grass that seem to move on their own but they don't approach and it occurs to you that there are still twig blights out there the uh, source of them may have been destroyed but it would be nearly impossible to destroy all of the ones that currently exist that occurs to tez Amongst many of the other fleeting thoughts of tuition payments and theses <laughs> to write and research to conduct, he doesn't even pay that a second thought. The trip back to Mist Marsh is uneventful, if a little bit somber, given the literal weight that Sharwin is carrying. Uh, but as soon as you get back to town, you can see that the festivities of the uh, Ash Talon Festival are well underway. Children have uh, put on costumes of scary red dragons or comical red dragons, whatever. Um, Sharwin avoids looking at people and heads directly to the general store run by her mother. I will follow her. She enters without knocking and places the body of Sir Brayford on the counter. Rings the bell for service uh, and then when Carowin shows up from upstairs, she looks at her and says, Mother, I'm home. 
Tez, by the way, is striking a uh, a roguish pose, leaning against the doorframe, silhouetted against like the uh, the afternoon sun, <laughs> just kind of casually observing and chewing on a like chewing on a tobacco stick or something. Carowin gives a cry of uh, shock and joy and rushes over and embraces her daughter. Sharwin re- returns it, uh, but then you know she grips Sharwin by the shoulders. Uh, pulls her away to look her in the eyes uh, and then just says Talgon? Sharwin doesn't say anything. Carowin understands. And then she looks over at you. You know you gave her a signet ring. She hoped for the best. Now she has the worst news. I I, I mean, I don't think Tez is super sentimental about this stuff, right? Like, he, he, he wants to get going, so I think he just shrugs and says... Uh, I, I did the best I could. Yes, and that is what I asked of you, your best. Uh, so she looks down at her very much alive daughter and says, and this means that I owe you 250 gold pieces. You've returned not just with news, but with my daughter alive and well. Yes, and uh, I believe you will also be fencing my loot for me. Ah, Yes sort of dump it out and she almost like casually adds up how much it's worth in a, a moment or two uh, and then walks over to the till takes out the small amount of money for uh, the mostly damaged loot uh, and then heads into the back room and comes back uh, with a pouch all told it'll be 300 gold pieces one loot-destroying magic item, and I only get 300 gold pieces, huh? <laughs> um, she is not uh, buying Shatterspike, but I think you're you're probably going to hold on to that for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. If she, yeah, if she can't, if she can't handle the funds for Shatterspike, then I will hold on to it till I can find a buyer, a bespoke buyer. Yeah, I, I want to use the um, Xanathar's rules for selling magic items once we get to that point. I probably need to find a. a better city to sell this in anyway. I mean you're pretty sure you could you know if you play your cards right you could get more than street value so right and then she says I well judging from what I know of you I don't think you'd be interested but you are invited to the funeral uh I yeah I've um I've got to wash my hair that day and he uh Tez like uh grimaces at his flimsy excuse uh, she says well Whatever your character, you have the eternal thanks of the Hucreal family. And if that is of value to you, you may call on it in the future. Well, like I said, you know, I did the best I could. Uh, glad we were able to, to bring one of them home, but um, I'm, I'm going to go. I, uh, I appreciate it. Sorry about the donkey. She brushes it aside with a wave of her hand and says, it's on the house. step outside and out of their lives and into the throes of the festival is there anything else you want to do in town there's the mayor there's the priest there's Garen at the inn but you also can just leave I'm trying to remember if I had anything dangling with the priest I don't think I did right Mm-mm. no um you went to uh, her to get the silver discount to get cured of your uh, giant rat disease Right, but I don't think there was anything really other than that. And then I, Garen was—he mo- just mo- mostly gave us some information. 
Um, how late is it? I mean, it's got to be like late afternoon now, right? At this point, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go collect a free room from Garen, and uh, and head out at first light. So I'll yeah, I'll go to the inn. Um, toss Garen a coin. I, I imagine the inn is not crowded yet because it's still daytime and it'll right. get crowded like in the evening. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'll walk in. I will like have have the same kind of blusters before. Toss him a coin and say, Garen, your information really panned out. Oh, yeah. The outcast, the dragon, everything really. You know what? Spot on. That's for you. Oh, I I know. I know. Oh, Garen, he, he knows all the stories. Uh, how was the frog? The frog, um, I turned to Meepo. How was the frog? <laughs> Meepo was hoping old Garen would make stew. Oh, oh yeah? With with what? Um, and Meepo empties a big old bag of frog. And Garen, his eyes nearly pop out of his face, and then he gets this grin. He <laughs> says, well... I've definitely been one to eat roadkill. I think uh, think I know what to do with this. You you make sure you come down for dinner. Uh, is my room still available? Oh oh yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Wonderful. Uh, and if you wouldn't mind, Garen, uh, w- would you pack us a breakfast for the morning? We're gonna head out early. I don't want to disturb you. Oh sure, it'll be frog. <laughs> of course it will. Thanks, Garen. Uh, Meepo has an amazing dinner. I don't know if Tez joins him for dinner. <laughs> I don't think Tez does. I okay. think Tez is like I, I think Tez is upstairs, like pouring through documents, pouring through information, pouring through his notes, trying to get everything down. Like he's mm-hmm. he's off to work now. He's doing a brain dump. Tez is flippant and uh better lucky than good, I guess, as an adventurer. <laughs> but I think like he is like he he has like he's not brilliant. He has to get the work done by brute force, right? Mm-hmm. And and so he rec- I think he's doing that. All right. Meepo has an uh, amazing uh, dinner. And then the next morning, uh, as you all head out, you know, Meepo says his goodbyes. And Garen seems to genuinely like the little kobold, which seems to be like a complete 180 from when Tez first met Garen. Uh, and then as you leave, you can hear Garen telling like the two people drinking it. 7.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did I ever tell you? I uh, I knew this kobold. Good-looking feller, too. And I think we, uh, we, we walk, like, the camera pans to follow <laughs> us out the door <laughs> and into the, into, like, the, the morning dawn. Like, just a, just a, a slight, bi- a slightly built, uh, half-elf and his even smaller companion. And after that, two months pass. All right, dear listeners, we'd now like to introduce, for the finale, our guest star, Aram Vardian, who also edits this whole thing. Which I will be doing right after we stop recording. We're, we're cutting out the middleman. Just putting him right into production. Pull him yeah. out of post. And now when you screw up, uh, you can be mad at yourself for all the things you have to edit out. We now have jumped two months ahead from... Uh, Tez's time at the Sunless Citadel and in Mistmarsh, because it is now time for Tez to present and defend his thesis. Uh, you had a bunch of money left over, right? I did. You made a, you made a fair amount of money. Yeah, yeah. 
you had to spend most of it uh, in order to pay off your tuition. Had to pay off my tuition. Mm-hmm. Uh, had to pay my room and board. Yep. Had to pay for the books and scrolls that I had not yet purchased for the semester. Funny that uh, you still have to, you're on the hook for room and board, even though you are traveling around and uh, checking out your thesis. Yeah. Yeah, trying to make the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, but I mean, I needed a place to stay for the past month. So, have you been in Sharn at Morgrave during this time? I think I've been staying in a Morgrave dor- uh, dormitory. Tez has been that like prototypical like grad student who is working all day long, uh, like on on research, and so he's in and out of the library, he's in and out of like notes and books and all of this stuff, and then like he's staying up way too late every night and like out in in taverns and you know generally like trying to blow off stress but failing miserably, not getting enough sleep, and now he is like disheveled, haggard. Like, he's a half-elf, so I imagine he doesn't grow a great beard, but, like, he's got some stubble. <laughs> like, it's it's not a great look for Tez. He, he's definitely wearing the past couple months way worse than he was wearing his adventuring scars. Let's just put it that way. Tez has been prepping for his thesis defense. He has been to several... He's, he's watched several people defend their thesis. Uh, Aram, your character, also has. So both of you already know this information. The way that it's structured in the Rogue Archaeology Department at Morgrave University it is much like a symposium held by the Wayfinder Foundation. So, think about like an old Victorian British gentleman's club where someone went on safari or to Australia and has brought back a live kangaroo and is presenting it to their peers, trying to impress them as much as possible. The thing that's different about this is instead of looking for acclaim or applause or renown, uh, your thesis defense will be judged by three faculty members. You'll present whatever findings you bring, and you're trying to impress them enough to convince two of them to support your candidacy. You need two yays, at least, in order to graduate. You want to reveal enough to convince them to vote yes. But you don't necessarily want to reveal so much that everybody knows what you did or where to go in order to discover all of the other things that may be left to uncover there. When you discover Troy, you don't necessarily want to tell everyone the exact coordinates of the dig. It's a bit like uh, the Supreme Court. Oh, good. good. Thank you for a frame of reference I understand from my day job. <laughs> You'll present really whatever findings you want, anything that you think will impress. The three faculty members will have the chance to question you, to cross-examine, to try to poke holes in your discoveries, uh, to question each other, to yell at each other, because they're not necessarily on the same side either. And then you can, again, present as much, uh, present any new information, defend yourself, lie, cajole, whatever you think you need to do in order to just get them to vote yes. And then eventually, uh, it comes down to a vote. Oh boy, I wish I'd taken better notes. (laughs) (laughs) So here's how this is going to work. There are three faculty members. One is going to be a ROMS character. The other two are going to be randomly rolled on a table that I have created. Just like the Supreme Court. Tez knows that the way this works is most of the faculty 
are uh, either retired or active adventurers. So they may not always necessarily be available. So the way they put these panels together is essentially a random draw. So you don't know who you are going to be presenting to. With that in mind, given the two months you have between Miss Marsh and your thesis defense, is there anything that anything in particular you want to prep? Because this is also sort of like a showcase. Yes, you can show up with your poster board, but it could also be like, and now I shall perform surgery before you. You know, whatever it is that you you want to have in the room to wow these people, what is it? So my thesis, right, is that dragons predating the chamber's hegemony settled on Corvair before the Dakani Empire. Okay, you're going conspiracy theory. Cool. All right. But that is true, right? Isn't that, I mean, that's the evidence that we have? Oh, there, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right, but it's totally but it sounds conspiracy insane. theory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, it sounds good. insane. Good, good, good. I want this to be properly crackpot. <laughs> like, what I'm preparing, right, is is like the the evidence of the cult of a Chardalon, right? Um, and then um, research that we found into early, like, early behavior of the chamber, Right. So almost like the uh, like the history of the early church and like how they have manipulated like the worship of Christianity. Right. Like I'm using the I'm looking for the same kind of evidence of how the chamber shaped the like myth of, of like the draconic myth. Right. For the rest of the world in its early infancy, which is like probably just like little bits and pieces from questionable manuscripts deep in like buried in in libraries but like i want to piece that i'm i'm trying to piece this whole thing together i'm trying to blow the lid off of this thing <laughs> ishan cool okay so you're showing up at westminster abbey and you are debunking the council of nicaea don't know what that is but it sounds <laughs> great <laughs> there's an edict of worms in here somewhere and i tend to find it It is the day of your thesis defense. It is, one second, huh, blustery. Uh, but it is essentially like early October, right? Two months after midsummer. Um, Sharn is like somewhat subtropical. So it's still like a lovely day, but very windy. Uh, the sun is shining. It is 11 a.m. Uh, on the dot is when this is supposed to begin. So, you know, probably more like 1145. Let's be honest. This is the rogue archaeology department, after all. I did. I didn't draw first straw in terms of like thesis defenses today. I mean, you have tenured faculty that are supposed to show up, so I could right. be whenever. <laughs> uh, Tez, what do you look like? What are you wearing? So I like to imagine that like Morgrave is like it doesn't have like a, a normal like doesn't have like a uniform coat or anything like that, but it does have like a formal dress, right? Which are like like robes that denote like your class and subject, like kind of like how we have graduation robes, right? Um, like I imagine they have like sort of a similar thing to that. And so I am wearing my robes with like the, the proper pennant that indicates I am like a doctoral candidate or not a doctoral candidate, but a, a like a degree candidate and all of that stuff. Right. Um, so I am, uh, but disheveled. I want to make that clear. <laughs> okay. Like I look like I just rolled out of bed. My robes are, like I slept in them and uh, and I just like and I ran here 45 minutes late, apparently. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that the, the way this work works is, is essentially in an auditorium in the round. Um, you'll be presenting in front of like a, a three part dais with the three panelists, but all around um, 
you'll have an audience, which is essentially members of the Wayfinder Foundation. People will be watching, but also in attendance can be people that you want there. So Meepo has spent his share, or at least some of his share of uh, your loot on very, very fine clothes. Now, extraordinarily gaudy clothes, but very well made. <laughs> the finest silks. Yes. <laughs> in every color imaginable. Oh, he must have shades on too, doesn't he? Because it's, it's oh, daylight. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sunlight sensitivity. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So he ha- he's, he's already rocking sunglasses. He wears First cobalt in sunglasses. <laughs> Can he have like a really fancy umbrella? Oh, I love that. A wonderful parasol. It keeps Meepo from getting wet. In the rain. Meepo. It is raining, but Meepo is not wet. Meepo's clothes are not wet. And they are very nice clothes. Tez is about to be ushered into the auditorium. But first, he will finally see who the faculty members he is presenting to are. And the very first one, uh, not the chair, in the uh, leftmost position, is... Aram's character, who is about 15 feet long. Okay. Aram, how do you enter and what do you look like? There would just mean you'd hear me. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like giant boulders slamming into the stone floor, getting closer and closer until a sphinx rounds the corner. Flamewind has the body of a giant lion, but orange stripes mark her deep black fur. Her great falcon wings are pure black and folded over her back. She is the head and face of an elven woman, though her features are distinctly feline, and her hair is the same deep black and orange as her coat. She wears a few jeweled chains of platinum and gold around her neck and forelimb and a silver chain and pendant rests on her brow. There are a few gasps from the gallery, um, because everyone knows of Flamewind, the Sphinx. But not everyone has seen her before, because she doesn't usually deign to give audiences. And yet, she has been selected to be on your thesis defense panel. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, uh... (laughs) Isn't Flamewind, like, a named character from Eberron? Oh, yes. <laughs> Who has, like, a ton of lore? Oh, yes. <laughs> so I'm, like, defending my thesis in front of the Flamewind? The Flamewind, yes. <laughs> uh, the Flamewind, who, if she really wanted to, could delete the building and everyone in it from the timeline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh- <laughs> Questioning my research now. So let's do this. Um, Tez, give me a history check. Oh, hey, new dice. New dice luck. 19 plus 2, 21. Pretty good. Very good. Aram, with a 21 history check, what has Tez Proudgal heard about Flamewind? What does he believe to be true with a 21? Well, he recognizes that she is powerful. She's rather aloof. Uh, She's very involved in prophecy. She has this like magical scribe because she actually goes into prophetic visions. She steps back and something comes forward. 
she's created these little magical scribes to write down these visions that she's having because she doesn't actually remember them. She was discovered. Quote, unquote. She was Columbus. (laughs) She seems to have come here. No one really understands her motivations except for the fact that she seems to always be working towards this prophecy that only she understands or perhaps only understands bits of. And because she's so ancient and her thoughts are so lengthy, it's difficult for people to really grasp what she's doing. And it's hard for her to have patience with people who don't see the big picture. (laughs) Do I know how long you've been at Morgrave? Two years. Okay. So you're like a visiting professor and probably not even teaching a class. (laughs) She used to have office hours, but then, I don't know, a couple students disappeared. So the next person to walk in, and this person sits on the right dais, so also not the chair, is a rather young, probably like just a few years older than Tez, male half-elf. And Tez knows who this is. Kuvin Kemble, uh, who actually is in the rogue archaeology department, a, a professor, a rather new professor, uh, was elevated relatively recently. Go ahead and give me a history check. Don't fail me now. Eesh. And Flamewind, of course, knows all of this information. 10 plus 2 is 12. Okay, here's what Tez knows about Kuvin Kemble. Um, he's a big douche, and nobody likes him. But he does have this reputation for amazing finds. He has made more discoveries than anyone else his age and more than many people even twice his age. Uh, but the, the thing is, everyone that he mentors essentially amounts to nothing. And so the word on the street is that his nickname among underclassmen is Mr. Stilia Credit. Lovely. You know that he doesn't really take kindly to people who he thinks uh, have discovered something that he has not. Oof. You, you wish you had cited your uh, your thesis advisor in your thesis. <laughs> you, you wish you had. All right. And then finally, the chair. And now everyone has the, uh, everyone's vote counts the same. The only difference with the chair is the chair is the one who decides when to table the discussion and vote. A very elderly human woman approaches the central dais, which is slightly elevated above the others. She takes a a seat and like you, she is dressed in the traditional robes, but of course she has um, many more uh, ribbons and tassels to signify that she's just much more important than you. This, um, a voice near you announces is Inspector General Nebra Irule. You know, the ear means that she is actually nobility. Okay, all right, getting better. 12 plus 2, 14. She uh, has been, she was a a local prosecutor for uh, many years. The uh, nickname, her nickname was Tough But Fair, if you forget that last part. She is a staunch, brellish monarchist. Uh, She believes that King Bornell of Breland should have been, uh, should have won the war. Honestly, these other nations really should have surrendered. You know, fine, peace is fine. That's all right. But she's uh, none too happy um, with uh, students from other nations and 
Tez absolutely knows that the Lazar principalities declared staunch neutrality during the war. <sighs> it ain't looking great for our hero. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like the deck is stacked against you. Uh-huh. The only other thing before you begin, you know that you are a, assigned a preceptor, uh, who is the person who is announcing uh, your panel. Uh, this is a sort of lower level faculty member often who is basically going to serve as your liaison with uh, the panel. So if you need, um, you know, a, a, an item of equipment in order to like demonstrate something or, or whatever, they'll get it for you. If you need a glass of water or something, they'll, they'll get it for you so that you don't have to leave the auditorium. Uh, your preceptor, you look over uh, when they announce Inspector General Rule, uh, is a sturdily built dwarf with like sausage-like hands stumps over to you and slaps you on the back and tells you it's time for you to to uh, defend your thesis. And he looks up at you and says, well, don't screw this up. Tez blanches. Uh, and then as you begin to walk to the center of the auditorium, uh, he just calls after you, but I think you'll do fine. Trust me. The thing about rogue archaeology right is that you're an archaeologist but you're also a rogue and at the slightest hint that the deck is stacked against him uh or that you know there might be the odds might not be as they seem tez kind of remembers himself right like he he gets out of his academic mindset and he he remembers that like he is tez proud gale he does talk his way out of his problems like Things always work out for Tez, even if they're a little messy in the run-up. So he kind of, like, stops before he, he goes through the door and, like, like licks his fingers and, like, fixes his hair real quick, you know, and, like, tries to, like, press down his robes. And then just sort of, like, sighs. And it's it just sort of like an actor about to go on stage. And the Tez from uh, the, the inflappable Tez... <laughs> <laughs> of the uh of the sunless citadel uh blusters through the door uh with without any pomp or circumstance and certainly with no fear behind you um comes the dwarf who stands by the door ready for um anything you might need and as you take just one last look back um it hits you trust me these the dwarf looks very much like a dwarf and yet those <laughs> eyes those eyes seem so familiar and one of them winks or did it did it did it wink mm, not really sure anyway anyway tez had uh, out to his own podium in front of uh the three-part dais and the hair in his arms feels like it stands up for just a moment and he remembers he's been to uh, these defenses before. He knows that he is now in a uh, magical ring that also encompasses uh, the, the dais. None of them now can be subjected to magical compulsion. There's no mind control allowed here. Um, you need to convince the panel that you should pass. Uh, and you can see out in uh, the auditorium, it's filled out quite nicely. And Tez notices... Actually, people are sort of clumped together. He realizes these are adventuring parties, right? This is the Wayfinder Foundation. They fund expeditions and adventuring parties. They're grouped together. You're like, oh, 
that's a that's a mage, that's a that's a fighter, that's a barbarian. There's their rogue. Okay, interesting. All watching very intently to see what kind of secrets you're about to spill. And then just in the very back. Yes, this will be very good. Yes, I'm I am very excited to see this. Oh, oh yes, yes, Tez Tez Proud Gale uh, will 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 succeed, and it will be three votes for yes. Uh, yay! The the vote that he wants is yay, but also that means hooray. Meepo is still learning. <laughs> so glad I could pick that voice out of the crowd. You are welcome to begin your thesis defense. Tez uh, takes a sip of water, takes a deep breath, turns to face the, uh, the, the, the gathered professors and says, Professors, I am here today to present a, uh, a thesis based on my, uh, my research and uh, archaeological findings that suggests um, draconic presence on Corvair predates even the Dakani Empire. Cults to these dragons uh, predate many of our civilizations, and that uh, the the history of our land is uh, older than we have been uh, led to believe uh, through the careful manipulations of the chamber. And then I turn to Kemble and I say, "Oh, the chamber is a group of of dragons uh, who uh, interpret the draconic prophecy for us." Kemble scoffs. I know what I know what the chamber. The chamber, of course. You come here with theories, you're gonna have to do better than that, proud Gale. Proud Gale? You're just full of hot air. <laughs> this is Ace Attorney? What is going on? <laughs> Get out of here, Phoenix, right? I object. Um, okay, so so then Tez will start piecing together sort of like the origins of this, right, around uh, what, what he knows about the age of a Shardalon, right, um, and, and like the dates that, that predate all of that stuff. Um, and, and also, like, I think, like, Tez will, will get into explaining how, like, start describing this site, right? And he's like, uh, in my travels, I came across a... Uh, well, frankly, it had had multiple lives, but a uh, fortress, a citadel that had collapsed uh, was underground. Uh, within it, we found uh, ev- evidence of several um, inhabitants. Um, in keeping with local custom, uh, there uh, was evidence of a cult to a dragon. The dragon, by the name of Ashardalon, uh, was a was a running motif throughout this. Uh, we found evidence of elvish cultists. We found uh, evidence of um, the dragon's own search for immortality, uh, his own profane attempts to extend his life. Uh, the uh, there was a, a strong evidence of a of a vampire. Some of you may have heard of Campbell. I know you've heard of it. Obviously, Golthias. Give me an insight check. Flamewind knows all of this is absolutely true. And is completely unsurprised. I rolled a 20. <laughs> a nat 20 on insight, finally. <laughs> <laughs> That's a 22. <laughs> well, with that 22, Flamewind is, of course, completely inscrutable. Um, you did notice the, the, the tiniest bit of movement around 
um, rules eyes when you mention the name Ashartalon. Uh, you're pretty sure she recognizes that name. You didn't get that from Kemble. You're pretty sure he's never heard of that name. Um, and he's he actually seemed very interested at first when you started talking about dragons. And as you kept going, he got less and less interested. And he basically like can't contain himself anymore. He's like, ah, oh, this was a good story. I was very intrigued. But then you laid it on too thick, Proud Gale. Dragons, fine, interesting. Mm, but then also vampires. Oh, and let's throw in a few cults. Look, when you lie, just pick one. Pick one thing and stick to it. Oh, no, I have all the evidence. Uh, and in fact, I uh, like I check through, uh, like I, I pull out a sheaf of papers and, and riddle through some notes. Um, and I find, uh, well, I would like to find, Bishan, within my notes, a uh, some work uh, that Kemble himself has cited on Golthias. Oh, very interesting. Um, I do not care if this is real, this citation, <laughs> by the way. I just want to put him on the spot of, of course, he already knows this and it's plausible because it's in his own words. So this would be like forged by you? I think what I'm doing is blindly bluffing, mm-hmm. right? I don't have any clue if he knows anything about Cothias, and I sure as hell did not cite any of his research. But I also know that he's a glory hound, right? So right. if I tell him he did something, he's going to be – he's never going to say mm. – Oh, I didn't do. I didn't write that. What are you talking about? Right? He's gonna take the credit for free because I offered it to him. All right, give me a wild bluff check. So that's a deception. Deception. <laughs> Always good to throw haymakers in the opening rounds. Uh, <laughs> Thirteen plus five is eighteen. Eighteen. All right. So Tez has no magical ability, and he did not know that Kemble was going to be on his panel. So he couldn't have possibly prepped for this, but he starts looking through uh, papers and, you know, talking it up as you do in the middle of a bluff while you're trying to figure out what the heck you're doing. Suddenly the dwarf preceptor says, Oh, Oh yes, of course. Right away, right, right away, right away. Uh, and then runs over to you like you called him over, even though you know, you didn't call him over. Oh, uh, are you, you're looking for the, the thing, right? The, I, I must've forgotten it. What, what was it again? I'll just go get it from the back. Uh, it was um, it was vampiric dealings in uh, in cross generational cults. Uh, I believe by uh, one Kuvin Kemble. Uh, mm, mm. So he runs out and then runs back with um, a stack of papers, puts them in, in front of you, and he's going through them. And you can see it's just blank paper. Right. Um, and he says, "Oh, is it this one? Uh, is it this one?" And each time he taps a page, two hundred and fifty words of writing appear on them. There, 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 there. That's it. That, thank you. Thank you, Preceptor. And you can see it is, I mean, you scan it quickly and it, it is basically like garbage junk writing. But it does say, Gothias, written by Kuvin Kemble. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, and I, I will hold it up. Uh, Professor Kemble, your, your own research in, and, uh, and discoveries in terms of Tracking Gothias's life, I think we're we're instrumental in, in cementing the theory that like the 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 relationship between or the the coincidence of the like remnant of Gothias on the in the, in the archaeology site uh, with the cart of Ashardalon strongly indicates that the crossover was real that Ashardalon was present there that the cult grew out of his own seat of power. He looks 
for a moment, extraordinarily confused and says, let me see that. And from your hand, the paper sort of lifts out of your hand and begins to float up to him. Um, But you're close enough, you can hear the telltale sort of like clip-clop, clip-clop of invisible feet on the ground. You know that it's an unseen servant taking the paper from you and passing it over to him. And he he looks at it and says, oh, this is is really good. Uh, yes, I I agree. It was like I said, instrumental uh, in in being able to pieces. It was you know I I wouldn't call it the the linchpin, right? But it was a necessary building block on the theory. Kemble is like now waving it in, uh, over. Um, you know, he sort of passes it quickly in front of Rule's face, but then like is trying to get it in front of Flamewind. Ah, huh? ah. Huh? I mean, <laughs> the slightest raising of her eyebrows. And that's it. And of course, she knows 100% this is a, a magically produced facsimile. He, he seems to like gather himself, remember where he is. Once he sort of breaks the reverie of admiring what he thinks is his own work, um, catches himself and is like, but I'm, I'm by this, this. And he sort of now is addressing the, the audience. This is, uh, this is some of my very early work. Uh, <laughs> I've done much better since. I, I, I don't know that I'd, uh, use this as a, the foundation for an entire thesis. But an important piece of supporting evidence that 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 validates that, you know, what we found uh, on the site was not, you know, misinterpreted. Uh, that, that the, you know, there was uh, opportunity and motive uh, to, to connect the two. Chardelon was clearly trying to extend his life, uh, believing that, you know, perhaps he was so uh, incredibly wise... <laughs> that he was going to cheat death. So rule breaks in here. She says, so she pauses thoughtfully. Are you trying to determine a legal right for dragons to own Brelish soil? Are you trying to upend the sovereignty of the Brelish crown? Absolutely not. Uh, in fact, I would argue that their claim was, uh, were any claim to, to exist, was forfeited uh, at the point where uh, Ashardalon took such, uh, such profane acts. Uh, at the point where he, uh, you know, forfeited his uh, existence, frankly. Uh, that, you know, no, no, uh, his, his desire to seek out lichdom for lack of a better term for I, we, we don't know the rituals involved, but it certainly seems that way. Uh, his desire to seek out lichdom would invalidate any claim that he had. Uh, certainly that has been levied against other rulers in the past and been found to be a fair cause to eliminate a claim. Has it not? Her hackles were up and she seems to, seems to settle just a little bit. Mm, mm, dead people, undead people don't have, don't have rights. It's, you know, it's certainly set precedent in in the law. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if if it wasn't like that, we'd be overrun with Carnathies. And then she seems to realize she said that a little too loudly. I have seen it all rise and fall, from dust to dust. You are but a speck in the moment, and ownership of land is meaningless 
that will grind your memories to dust. Oh, that's that's depressing, but she has a point. Does well are you trying to establish a, a deeded property here? You're trying to show us an interesting discovery. Uh, I, I believe what we're trying to establish is a memory uh, and and uh, the desire for the land to not forget its antecedents. Uh, is that not the purpose of our study of archaeology, to better understand the past? And I think this theory, uh, which I, I freely admit is a theory, a working theory, one that I would like to continue to field test, but this theory would suggest that, um, you know, the, the, the draconic influence over Corvair predates when the chamber says it does, predates the arrival of goblins, elves, and men to the land. But more importantly, and this is, I think, the most important thing to consider is that it overlaps. Uh, perhaps one way to look at it is that we defeated the dragons and superseded their claim. Defeated the dragons, huh? Hmm. Uh, and actually, she pauses for a moment and then looks over at Flamewind and says, Does that sound right to you? And Flamewind would look towards her and then look towards Tez, and as she does, her eyes begin to glow. It's as if fire has erupted behind them. It's so bright and so hot that you can feel the heat as soon as her eyes turn towards you. And she says, When three is two, you two shall see. And there's just this hope from her, this wave of hot air that kind of presses everyone back and then the flames flicker out everything Tez has said is true Tez even looks surprised <laughs> <laughs> when that happens you can see that the sort of floating automated scribes uh, behind Flamewood uh, begin scribbling furiously they're basically floating quills um, and then the words that came out of her mouth in a voice that doesn't seem like her own uh, now show up on this magically produced uh, parchment that automatically deposits itself in front of Flamewood. And she looks down at it and reads it almost like for the first time. The people in the gallery, uh, there's a, there's not a murmur. There's there's basically like raucous. Like some is applause, some some is screaming, some... Some is just yelling for more. Um, it's obviously a thing that basically no one has seen before. Contain yourselves. Everyone is silent. And Tez would know, like, sometimes she gives prophecies. And the rumor is that they always come true. That it happened in the middle of his thesis defense, he is unsure if that is auspicious or not. Uh, Tess is uh, Tess has now hidden the surprise on his face and is a little bit bewildered. Uh, so are the rest of the panelists, but Rule ga gathers herself um, and, and takes um, a, a large worked stone, uh, polished stone, pounds it uh, on the dais and says, "Well, if uh, if that's all you've got, then you know I think I think we can probably move on ahead with this." 
apologies, uh, Inspector General. There is also um, some additional research that I've done into not just a Chardelon, of course, but uh, into the cult of a Chardelon that worshipped him, a uh, an elven cult, I believe, uh, that attempted to serve, uh, worship, um, perhaps assist uh, ex- in his experimentations. Uh, I, I have discovered uh, lots of evidence, frankly, of some... Uh, arcane rituals that uh, maybe went awry um and and several um you know several uh, experiments uh that were undertaken uh once once again i'm you know interesting uh to say the least given uh the fact that there weren't supposed to be any elves sort of in that area of breland at the time according to our modern understanding of history Kemble breaks in and says, oh, cults, cults again. And he turns over to Rule and says, I, I think we can move on. You know, like, I, I would really like to get to lunch. And she starts to nod, like, that sounds like maybe it's a good idea. You believe yourself superior to elves, do you not, Nebra Rule? And Rule stops short uh, by being addressed directly by Flamewind, which you would suspect is probably for the first time. Surely the tale of Elven Downfall would at least amuse. Oh, well, mm. and for the first time she seems sort of like unsure of herself. And she says, all right, well, let's let's see this evidence for the elves, but it better be good. Uh, Tez turns to the preceptor. There's a squeaking that emanates from like down the hallway as like you know small little caster wheels are rolling along you know shrouded with like a large canvas this sort of like uh cylindrical shape um, that's being wheeled in and uh and and tez tez like kind of helps the preceptor set it next to the table um and he he kind of like pats the side of it and, and whispers like all right, buddy, this is our moment. <laughs> I mean, you can't tell what's underneath it, but it's like cylindrical with a dome top. It, it, the shape of a birdcage, okay, I cool, guess, cool. but like uh, tall, right? Like probably 10 feet tall and, and like, you know, five feet across, like pretty, pretty substantial. Great. It bursts open as a, a sword sticks from inside out. Bony hands reach out from the inside and tear the cloth and the the box apart like it's flimsy paper and there is a six and a half foot tall elven skeleton with I might add very distinct draconic features ladies and gentlemen I present to you my good friend Skelebro a piece (laughs) of living history (laughs) an angry skeleton isn't the weirdest thing that you might encounter in a day but ranking high on most people's lists would be the scene that plays out here in this auditorium uh, with a skeleton now free, still clutching its sword, says quite vocally, I can speak for myself. Tez has a grin from ear to ear. Two months of hard work pays off. <laughs> Kemble is under the dais. <laughs> I'm too famous to die. <laughs> just a heavy rumbling sigh 
from the Sphinx as she looks over <laughs> at him. The room has like dropped into silence for a moment. And then in the very back, you hear this tiny voice. Meepo can see a Sphinx. <laughs> Meepo has never seen a Sphinx. Meepo, Meepo thought it was an owl bear. There's the slightest chuckle <laughs> from Flamewind. <laughs> she likes Meepo. <laughs> Rule looks down and says, What is this Carnathy abomination? Ah, not Carnathy. Pre-Carnathy. Skelebro, how old are you? I've lost track of the years. Perhaps only two millennia. And Rule looks down and says, I, I, I... She bangs the, the rock and looks over at uh, the preceptor and says, get the zone of truth. <laughs> uh, point of order. Um, yes. Inspector General, is that not uh, against the rules of compulsory and, and compelling magic? Only you and us. This is your thesis. I, I see nothing in the rules that says I can't subject your thesis to a zone of truth. If you wish for truth, allow me to show you. And she would breathe out a stream of sand that would wrap around Skelebro and build an illusion of the flesh that Skelebro once had. Aram, what does that look like? Why I was hoping you were going to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, As the sand forms into uh, an image of the person it used to be, um, you can see that the skin is like a a sallow um, grayish green, not typical uh, for an elf. Um, It doesn't look unhealthy. It looks a bit reptilian. There aren't full-on scales, but the skin has a leathery appearance, although that doesn't seem that out of place because also this is some sort of, like, (laughs) wraith, revenant, abomination thing. Uh, You can see the uh, eyes uh, have slit pupils. Um, The typical elven ears, which are, uh, you know, elongated and pointed, are still pointed, but very, very flush with the the side of the head, almost like they've... Uh, become streamlined and uh, are connected now. Um, And each of the fingers ends in a long talon. The tongue is uh, forked. And you can see all throughout our, all along the body um, are these crests, like these ridges of, you're not sure, some combination of bone and and additional muscle. Uh, And you can see stereotypically an elf is considered to have a, you know, a, a light, thin frame. But this is this is a powerful body, and with uh, a practiced motion, takes its long sword, uh, sheaths it into its ancient scabbard, turns uh, to to Tez and says, "What is it that I have to tell them?" Ah. Uh. <laughs> I tell them honestly, why don't you just tell us about your life? Ah, it was a good life. And I... Tez like is now like 
feels like he's running a three ring circus and so he grabs his his glass of water and steps in <laughs> front of the table and sits on the table and just kind of like sits and watches like with his arms folded uh just sort of enjoying the the chaos that he's sown in this like august institution tez has now taken on the role of peachy barnum <laughs> mm-hmm. where he is no longer the ringmaster he has stepped off to the sideline and is letting Scalabro entertain. But really, it's more like Scalabro's threatening. I lived a good life. I killed many, many goblins. But I will say I never had the pleasure of killing a human yet. I, I put an arm around him talked about this remember like just you told me to tell my tale yes but in a slightly less threatening way she's it sort again i will try thank you use your word <laughs> ah so scalabro seems to notice the sphinx for the first time and turns its cat-like eyes uh to to the giant form looming over him and says You, you are one I would not kill. You, I think, would have been very interesting to my old master. Indeed. I think we would have much to talk about. We should speak at length of blood and death and history and lore. All history is steeped in blood and death. Ah, yes. It turns slowly over to Tez. This one understands. Buddy, there's a time and a place. <laughs> there's a time and a place. <laughs> this is not the place or the time. So when you finally get Scalabro back on track, he basically gives the uh, tale that you received telepathically from the dragon statue on the third floor of the um, of the Sunless Citadel. Uh, that basically tells the story of a Shardalon's search for immortality from a Shardalon's perspective. The the great and wise dragon search for a way to continue the gift of uh, his own life to the world. Give me give me some sort of check for Scalabro. How are you making sure that this is landing well and not terrifyingly? Right, right, right. So I think this is persuasion because because what I'm doing here is sort of um, like smoothing out the edges of the story, right? Like I'm I'm providing the footnotes that give the context for the story that like tie it all into like the the basically the proof of my thesis, right? Which is which is the existence of this cult, the the early existence of dragons, the late existence. Uh, well, I guess it's the late existence of dragons, really, uh, on Corbear. Right, and so that's like that's what I'm trying to tie it all together with Skelebro as like the the first party evidence. God, the dice are always interesting. Okay, um, so Tez is backing up Skelebro, um, and you know, basically sort of playing up the fact that like he seems to have control over this thing, which does seem to impress, um, even if they are really freaked out by it. Um, but Kemble leans way in here. He finally seems to have gotten over uh, his fear of imminent death and says, all right, if this is all true, which well, I'll, I'll grant, it, it, it seems like it is, you know, building on the foundation of my uh, seminal Gothias work, obviously. 
tosses a, a parchment sort of out into the air and it floats down to you. Again, you can tell it's being carried by an unseen servant. It's a map of Breland. Where exactly is this place? If it actually does exist. Um, and it um, floats down sort of in between you and Scalabro. And Scalabro goes to point to a location on the map. I will snatch the map out from uh, from Scalabro. I will turn to rule. Uh, Inspector General, uh, as you know, the uh, locations of, of these types of, uh, of finds are closely guarded secrets that have large implications for the career of the um, of the academic who who discovers and is able to fully research them and explore them. Since I, I think we can all agree that nothing I've said today has been news to uh, our uh, esteemed Professor Flamewind, that um, perhaps uh, if I were to mark it on the map and Flamewind were to verify that this is in, indeed the case, that this was the location of a Chardelon seat of power, that we might then destroy the parchment uh, and, and allow me to protect my secret. This has merit. Give me a persuasion check. Oh, boy. I'm on my ass. Three plus seven is ten. It is an interesting argument. She looks over at Flamewind. And I'm sure the professor would agree to do this, but I'm afraid extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Please indicate on the map the location of where you discovered this this information. Uh, I agree with you. There are potential national security implications if this location is indeed within Brelish borders. And Flamewind would extend their wings and sit up for the first time and look around the gallery, gesturing with the tips of their wings. How secure is this room? Rule thinks about this. And you can, well, okay, actually, Shane, give me an insight. I have a literal spy from the trust, like, eating me. <laughs> uh, 12 plus 2 is 14. You can, you can tell that rule is, I mean, cowed, right? Because flame wind is intimidating. But also, like, it's a, pretty, it's a good argument. Um, so she sort of sits back for a bit in thought and says, I will settle for the location to be revealed only to this panel. And she looks over at Flamewind. Is, is this satisfactory? Flamewind would think for a long time, like a good minute, because to her, that's nothing. And then she would nod very slightly. All right, so Rule sits back, indicates for... Kemble to do the same. Uh, the map floats out of Tez's hand and lands on the dais in, in front of Rule. She places her hand out over it and it begins to tremble just a little bit and she moves it slowly over the surface and then looks up and makes eye contact with Flame Wind when her finger drifts over just about a half a day's journey from Mistmarsh her finger drops. Kemble cranes his head up to, to look. Give me an insight check. 
I wish I had booby trapped. <laughs> I wish I had booby trapped everything and sent Kemble <laughs> right in there. If only I had known. Uh, eight plus two is ten. It's quick. You're not sure that it actually happened, but that you get confirmation right after. Uh, Kemble sees the location on the map. He then quickly scans the auditorium and makes eye contact. Just a few moments later, an adventuring party stands and leaves. Just the one, though. There were going to be like ten. You were gonna, you were gonna have a gold rush on your hands. Tez stands firmly at his post <laughs> and waits for the proceedings to wrap up, knowing that whatever is left of his find is as good as gone. <laughs> he better at least get his degree out of this. Uh, all right, so Rule again grabs the stone, looks at Flamewind, looks at Kemble, looks out uh, at the audience and says, if there are no further objections, she looks at Skelebro, I believe it's time to put this to a vote. And she raises the stone for a moment and everyone knows that this is the last opportunity to interject if anyone wants to. So a deep, blaring horn with an unsettling, monstrous rumble beneath just erupts from her. And the, all of the little quills just start going nuts. They start writing for a solid minute. None of it is in a language anyone can understand. As soon as the horns start going off, Rule drops. The, the rock like fumbles it uh, and it like lands with a, a thud and then falls off the dais and lands on... The, the ground uh, where it shatters into two pieces. And then everyone is completely silent during all, all of these horns. And for a good 30 seconds afterward, nobody says anything. Wondering what the heck is going to happen next. But eventually nothing does. There's like a little, <clears throat> a familiar <clears throat> to Tez anyway. Tez is hiding behind uh, Skelebro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I rolled a con save. <laughs> he is hiding behind Skelebro in a very undignified manner. And he rises and attempts to straighten his robes. <laughs> Brush some tassel out of your face. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Preceptor Dwarf, who's absolutely, totally, 100% a dwarf, um, presents a, a, another a gavel stone. And it, it floats up to Rule's waiting hand, where she slams it immediately before anything else can happen. Now we vote. Kemble. He settles back in his chair, gives a big old sneer and says, nay. I stare. Uh, Tez stares daggers at, at Kemble. So, so Tez doesn't know what's going to happen next. But in Tez's mind, like he is thinking, I'm going to leave him dead in an alley if he's the reason that like I don't that I don't get credit. Like I, I like he's literally like Tez is like he felt worse about killing goblins than he does about like getting rid of this guy. God, I love when people hate NPCs. I love it. I love it. Note to self. Find, <laughs> find looks that can kill. Research basilisks. Okay. Rule then says, Flamewind. Flamewind turns to Kuvin. We must listen to the stories of the past, even when they conflict with our present. 
then turns to the head of the council. We exist to learn these stories. We exist to judge them. These stories are new and judge fair. And then we turn to Tez. You have brought us stories, and we must trust that they are true. We will die. One of those moments, Flamen was addressing rule directly. <laughs> okay. All right, it's one to one, and rule calls on herself. And rule, huh, the tiebreaker. And she pauses in thought for a long moment, looks at Scalabro. Doesn't seem happy to see Scalabro. Looks over at Flamewind. And then nods. Looks down at Tez and says, We vote aye. Congratulations. Tez, like, gives a huge <laughs> sigh of relief and, like, melts to the floor. <laughs> you should thank Professor Flamewind. She was very convincing. Uh, I, I thank all of you, professors, uh, for, for the honor. I will, uh, I will uh, go forth as a rogue archaeologist and, uh, and, and continue to make Morgrave proud. Uh, she, she looks down and says, and judging from uh, your academic record here in front of me, I'm sure we'll meet again, although I suspect you'll be accused of terrible crimes. When you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Flamewood would lean down, just lean way, way down and forward into her eyes are about a couple feet away from yours and level with yours. And she would just stare at you for a moment, unblinking, unmoving. And finally, her eyes kind of soften and she would say, a great cleansing will come. And she reaches into her fur and she pulls out a wooden box, 12 inches long, 3 inches high, wrapped tightly, and hands it over to you, and then just walks out of the chamber. Uh, add that to your loop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, from the back of the hall comes a keening wail, uh, followed by sobs, and then... A small voice. This, uh, this is happiest day of Meepo's life. Meepo's the best hype man. Meepo always do. Meepo always do. Tez would amount to something. Tez, uh, Tez, I think like heads up into like the auditorium seats to 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 grab Meepo, right? And uh, and and he, Meepo, and Skelebro, uh, are are just like in the center, like. Because it was there, like all all three of them, like came together to to make all this happen, make it happen. So traditionally, you would know that there is um, a celebratory gathering for successful degree candidates in Larith Hall. Um, so you all make your way over there. Um, Meepo gets sloppy drunk on the neck of a bottle of beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Skelebro is drinking the hardest liquor that is available, but none of it seems to work, and he gets pretty mad and keeps smashing glasses on the ground. You know that Kemble was invited, did not show. Rule showed up briefly, um, seems sketched up by Skelebro, 
made the the like two fingers at her eyes, two fingers at your eyes move. You know, I'm watching you. Uh, and then uh, peeled off. And the festivities die down uh, relatively soon. And then all there is is a drunken, sleepy Meepo, uh, a grumpy Scalabro just uh, arguing with himself in a corner. Tez, feeling pretty good about himself, and Flamewind. Uh, just before this, uh, I just want to point out when when she made the, like, I'm watching you, now that, like, the ink is dry, Tez just lifts a glass to her. It's not called Rogue Archaeology School for nothing. <laughs> She's not even in your department, okay? <laughs> She's at the law school. Who cares? She's been trying to get this department eliminated for years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you one of these days. It's completely duplicative to the archaeology school. It's just more unruly. <laughs> Why did you put Rogue in the name? We don't call it Barbarian Law. <laughs> She's David Spade trying to get the rogue archaeology fraternity thrown off campus. <laughs> rogue archaeology. <laughs> All right, so it is basically just the two of you. Flamewind is curled up on like some giant kind of like bean baggy t- whatever they have to like accommodate her right it can't be much but like she's like in a window in a sunbeam kind of laying back just in you know seems very at peace right now uh I, I, tez will approach uh nervously and with genuine humility <laughs> um, which isn't a great look on tez uh, but he, he will approach and, um, and clear his throat and, <clears> throat> um, pr- professor, uh, professor Flamewind, uh, uh, so- sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I am aware of all things and therefore can never be interrupted. Uh, I, th- well, I, then I, um, I suppose this is more for me than for you, but I just wanted to say thank you. Which I guess you already knew. Your thanks is welcome, but unnecessary. I did not act for you. Can I ask why you did? I acted in your interest. Because it is in my interest. Because it is in the interest of fate. What I did was no kindness to you, Tess Proudgale. I feel like there's like a a rejoinder to that statement that's going to like send me off to a faraway place that's really dangerous or something. And I'm kind of, well, I guess you already know that I'm really dreading where where this is going to go next. So she'd sit up, she'd kind of crack her shoulders. And as she does, sand just pours out from her and spills onto the rug in front of you. And she lifts a paw and lazily waves it above, and the sand begins to spin. It spins like silk on a weaver's wheel, and it forms long strands that wrap all around her, and she gestures with her hand, and one of them shoots out and touches you in your chest, and then rockets across and and attaches to Meepo, or like a little sand form of Meepo. Then you see a little sand form of Skelebro. All these things have strands attaching each other. Time has many strands. I cannot tell you why 
So many are attached to you, says Proud Gale. Just that when such a thing occurs, it is important that they not all be cut. Okay. So... I lost my find because I know Kemble's already on his way there. Uh, my family stopped paying my tuition. I I just finished my degree by the skin of my teeth. Any advice on where to go? <laughs> it is always money with your kind. And she would kind of shake her head and just the, like one of these gold necklaces pops off and her palm just shoots out and catches it in midair. Should this assist? Uh, no, I mean, yes. I mean, I mean, thank you, but I, uh, I needed, uh, look, I always come up with the money. It's, um, I needed more direction, I guess. Consider this an investment in you and your fate, says Proudgale. Um, Tez, Proudgale, and company have gained a group patron. (laughs) (laughs) If you wish advice, this is what I can give. Do not stop seeking. Do not stop searching. For if you do, fate will find you, and it will be crueler. Okay. Th- uh, th- th- thank you. Thank you once again, Professor. Your greatest strength is your trust. Your trust in your friends. Your trust in yourself. And your trust in the process. Trust is very important. Wouldn't you say? Tez Proud Gale. Yeah. That word, huh? <laughs> I trust you will find your fate. Alright. Yeah. Message received. <laughs> Thank you, Flame Wind. Flame Wind nods. Finger gut. Turkey! Tez Proud Gale and Meepo. Level to four. Listeners, we hope you've enjoyed Sunless Citadel et al. (laughs) Aram, thanks for joining us. Uh, That was a way better flame win than I could have played. I had so much fun. Thank you for having me. I have been wanting wanting to add my voice basically for the past 12 episodes of anything. (laughs) I've always heard something I wanted to say something about. So it was a pleasure to come on and uh, have a bit of a voice at the end. Yeah, thank you. Uh, That was a lot of fun. That is finally the end of our very first actual play. Question is, will it be our last? Who can say?
But let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus me. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And also, podcast picks. <laughs> they keep piling up. Come take a look. All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are going to wrap up this whole actual play business with our, as promised, debrief episode of Sunless Citadel. Why did we make the choices that we made? What would we do differently? And what should you know if you want to play this module? Yes. Send any questions that you have to TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. Uh, we can do a little bit of mailbag if uh, if people are interested in that. Otherwise, we have some other things to discuss. So uh, <laughs> if you've got anything you'd like us to address in a, in a kind of a debrief episode, please get those questions in. TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And that's it for Actual Play Episode 14 for a- Actual Play ep- Series 1. Actual Play Series 1. Uh, of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. I thought this would be seven episodes. (laughs) Yeah.